Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfer Mark, Manuel Beth. Manu, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Bryce. Um, I'm really excited for the show. Very excited because A, we have a phenomenal guest back, which I'm, I think is just great. And B, we got a title race. We actually have the tightest title race in any of Europe's top four leagues. Isn't that exciting? I knew that you would drop that one in. You, you, you know, it, it's a it's a stat we're proud of, I must say, because we get enough abuse on here, don't we, about it being a one horse race? But you know, after match day twenty two, things have got a little bit closer. But as Manu said, we've got a special guest with us uh, this week. Um, Chris unable to attend, but uh, he'll be back before you know it. So we've drafted back in once again Bundesliga football writer Stefan Biankowski. Stefan, welcome back onto the podcast. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Uh, I'm the look. I guess I'm like kind of like the Luka Jovic to Chris's Andre Silva at this point. Uh, so I'm just kind of stepping in, seeing if I can score a few goals and kind of keep the keep the team going. Uh, but we'll see how I get on. Hey, we're we're happy to have Silva or Jovic on on here. To be honest, uh, both. Uh, both they add a lot to any team. To be honest, so thanks for coming back on, Stefan. So. As Manu said, today's podcast, we're naming the title race special. Why? Well, Bayern lost on Saturday 2-1 to Eintracht Frankfurt. And then on Sunday, RB Leipzig beat Hertha 3-0, meaning there's only two points between the two sides at the top of the table. Manu, let's start with Bayern. A draw against Armenia and now a loss against uh, Frankfurt. Are they suffering a World Club Championship hangover as such? Yeah, I think they are. And I mean, it was somewhat expected. I think Chris has been drumming this all season long. It's like, wait for February. Wait for February. It's going to be difficult for them in February. It's February. That seven-point gap, um, a point gap that Bayern never gambled away in any Bundesliga season, has shrunk to just two points. They have all sorts of issues. Um, non A non-existent right back. Um, lots of injuries. Thomas Müller out with COVID. Lots of games. You know, there's there's no let up for them, despite them being out of the DFB Pokal. And I think that some of the squad planning that we criticized in the beginning of the season is is slowly showing. And I think they'd be fine in the Champions League, but I think in the Bundesliga, this is going to get very tight. And this World Cup hangover, two games midweek and then coming back to snowy Germany, you're going from 30 degrees in Qatar or 27 degrees in Qatar, I think it was to um, snow playing snowball against Arminia Bielefeld, a side that's played very good football all season. You drop points there and then you face a side in Eindracht Frankfurt will probably have the best striker in Europe out, uh, best striker in Europe out who's not named Erling Haaland or, or Robert Lewandowski, but still like super in form and 
yeah, I think that this was always bound to happen. And I think there is more slip-ups down the road for Bayern Munich. Uh, Stefan, yeah, we, we've seen them lose 2-1 um, on Saturday. I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt have been on fire. We'll, we'll get on you know, into them in a little bit. Um, they looked a little bit toothless to me. Yes, you look at the stats and they may have dominated on there. But on the field, it, you know, it, it wasn't quite the, the Bayern Munich that, that we know. Uh, Rummenigger's come out and said uh, <laughs> rather uh, unkind words to about Sula and Sané. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they're to blame? Or, or what do you think the issue was? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting that he picked those two players. I, I, I'm not sure it's really fair um, to blame Leroy Sani in particular. He definitely was at fault for one of the goals, but it, it fell in a very kind of typical winger way that he's obviously a very attacking player and he wasn't tracking an overlapping throwback. So, you know, that's not what he's paid a fortune at Bayern Munich to do every week. Uh, and I actually thought he was probably one of their better players as the game went on. Uh, he was he had showed some tremendous individual school, uh, skill to set up Robert Lewandowski's goal, for example. Um, and, you know, his kind of wavering form this season, I thought this was probably one of his better games, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, Nicolas Sula, I thought it was quite interesting that, you know, as you say, Rummenigge kind of picked on him. He, you know, he was kind of pushed about a contract extension for Sula and he kind of dodged the question uh, and he kind of said, we'll give contract, we've got contract extensions planned for the players we want to keep. I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot here. Um, but, you know, there's still that kind of will he, won't he sort of thing with Sula this summer. And I thought, you know, over the course of the game, um, and we kind of saw us as well, the Bellafield uh, game, where, you know, Hansi Flick was forced to kind of turn to backup players in his team, um, you know, through injury, through obviously COVID. And I thought over the course of these two matches in particular, um, you know, they really showed that they simply weren't good enough good enough. Um, Chupa Moting was uh, horrendous, I thought, for a vast majority of the game. You know, Mark Roca was pretty terrible. Um, as you said, kind of Sula was kind of so-so. He, he kind of looks a little lost at right back. I thought he was, he, he, he looked like a passenger for Eunice's fantastic goal. Um, and it really wasn't until the second half when Leon Goretzka came on and really galvanised the middle of the park that Bayern kind of began to look back to their own selves. Um, so, you know, I think if there's kind of any lesson to take away from these last two games, um, aside from, you know, maybe just sheer fatigue, it does certainly seem as though the players that Flick has on his bench most week, um, they had their opportunity here to really show that they could step up and, and you know, and perform with a star and they haven't really done it. Um, and I, I think that's quite an interesting dynamic because Flick's kind of um, team selections throughout the season have kind of, you know, not only kind of puzzled some fans, but also kind of caused a bit of internal, um, maybe strife isn't the right word, but there's been a lot of column inches written about the kind of, you know, how Flick has butted heads with some of the um, hierarchy at Bayern because he's refusing to play certain players, etc. Um, and perhaps after these last two games, he, he might barge into the Bayern Munich boardroom and say, look, this is why we should have signed two or three players in January. I, I love that point that you just made. Because I think that you're pointing out something really quite quite important there, Stefan, is that he essentially did play the players that the board signed for him, right? Um, with the exception of Bunasar. I don't know if we're ever going to see him in a Bayern shirt again, but 
Rocker played in midfield. Chupumoteng played in the Thomas Müller role, which I thought was very strange. He's essentially kind of gone and said, like, look, I, I, I feel that the players that Hassan has given me, and um, this is the result, right? And I, I think that the team got much better once Goretzka was on the field. And I think that Musiala would have probably been the better choice to start um, in that Thomas Müller role um, because you just know that he's better suited. But it, it, that dynamic is very interesting and it's very interesting to watch because I think the Bayern board didn't give him the right players um, either last summer or this winter. So, Stefan, would you say, obviously we've mentioned some of the players uh, there and maybe some of the players not playing as well as they should, but we've also mentioned uh, things, you know, behind the scenes, you know, with the board and coaches and that. Um, how much is are, you know, are those things behind the scenes, you know, so the board and coaches and so forth, um, affecting the, the game on the field? And do, do you think that it could go to a point that it would affect it so much that they maybe wouldn't win the title? It's always very hard to gauge um, how much of the the anger and the kind of apparent upset that comes out of Bayern Munich is genuine and how much of it is kind of clever media. I guess politics is the best word to describe it. Karl-Heinz Rummenigge has a direct phone line to the German media. He's, he's not a shy person in public, you know, certainly compared to maybe what we're used to with chairman or CEOs in other sports and other divisions, very public person, and he, he doesn't shy away from complaining about things when he, when he gets quite upset about it. Obviously, you know, the kind of fracas surrounding the kind of Club World Club, not only with, uh, you know, the, the delay from the flights, um, but also Flick's comments with regards to COVID procedures when they got back. And even Rummenigge's comments when asked about, you know, the club's uneasy sponsorship with different Qatari companies and even the Qatari government itself, it, it's it's all kind of this kind of, I mean, a lot of it's kind of stuff that obviously Rummenigge has to talk about constantly, but it's also kind of this kind of almost like a storm in a teacup. And you do wonder sometimes if he does kind of step into the limelight to talk about these things, if it is to take away from the tension that the players, obviously the players aren't performing right now, you know, if Rummenigge steps out or Flick steps out and says something that the media pick up on, does that take pressure off the players? That's just the kind of constant show that is Bayern Munich. Um, that's why they have, you know, the reputation that they do. It's why their nickname is FC Hollywood. So it's very hard to tell. But the problem is that fans will be willing to put up with it if Bayern Munich are top of the Bundesliga. If they're not top of the Bundesliga, if they get knocked out of the Champions League, which is unlikely against Lazio, but it's certainly not un- impossible. You know, things can get things can turn very ugly. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of had these kind of internal things with Flick and Salihamovic and Rumenig has had to play peacemaker for much of the season. And I think fans have been willing to put up with it because by and large, you know, the best the, the best players and the key players are doing well. The team are picking up points. Um, so, you know, this is fine. But as soon as results kind of take a nosedive and as soon as Bayern get kicked out of the German Cup, they maybe get kicked out of the Champions League, all of a sudden RB Leipzig are breathing down their neck. I think that's when the kind of public relations that Rubenegger seems very comfortable doing and stepping over the mark. I do wonder if that's when it may be perhaps to, um, you know, become less productive and fans begin to think, right, you guys need to really sort things behind the scenes here. Yeah, certainly can't do any favours, can it? Um, Manu, uh, one man that's obviously been there you know, since the, I don't know, the you know, the start of time, uh, Thomas Muller, uh, with all his experience, uh, w- when are we likely to see him come back? Because on- that can only be a boost to Bayern Munich. 
Yeah, um, the news for today uh, that he probably be back March sixth for the for the Klassiker against Borussia Dortmund, um, which is the earliest that he apparently because of the quarantine procedures and all that he can feature again. Which is of course with everything that's going on, um, is going to be a very big game um, for Bayern Munich, right? Because of the situation in the league. Um, with what's going on for Borussia Dortmund, we get to talk about Dortmund in a moment. But for Bayern Munich, this will be a huge game because if they lose that, all of a sudden that gap to Leipzig could be going from two points plus to one point minus. So for, for Thomas Müller to come back for that game, I think will be a huge boost for them. Yeah, absolutely. It can only be a good thing for them. They'll be eager to get him back, I'd imagine. But let's, uh, guys, move on to the team that are currently chasing Bayern Munich uh, in the Bundesliga. Sabitzer now from a long, long way out. Oh, what a goal! That is absolutely fantastic. Quite stunning from Marcel Sabitzer. A goal of real beauty. And Leipzig lead with a corker. Yes, so let's talk about uh, RB Leipzig. They're only two points behind. We've seen them uh, pick up uh, all points, uh, three goals, uh, three points uh, on Sunday. Uh, Stefan, I know that the Champions League didn't go very well for them uh, against Liverpool. It wasn't ideal. They weren't at home. Um, The return leg, you never know what could happen. But uh, do you feel that maybe they should sack off uh, any Champions League efforts to maybe focus on the Bundesliga? Well, I think that's kind of the golden question now, isn't it? kind of posed this question myself on Twitter. Uh, I think Manu and I were kind of discussing it. And, you know, I do wonder if a lot of kind of fans of the Bundesliga are now asking themselves that. I mean, the, the kind of ironic thing is that I think most Bundesliga fans would rather Bayern Munich just did win the, the 100th consecutive league title rather than perhaps RB Leipzig um, being the team that finally pipped them to the, the finish line. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, here and now, I wouldn't be surprised if Julian Nagelsmann possibly did consider that himself. You know, I mean, obviously Leipzig have a huge squad and he's used to rotating the team in general, but they also have, you know, a huge selection of, um, you know, tricky teams coming up against them um, prior or ahead of that kind of all-important clash with um, Bayern Munich on April 4th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, they've got Frankfurt, they've got um, Freiburg, you know, they've also got Bielefeld as well. So, Wolfsburg as well, and Gladbach, sorry. So, you know, it, it's kind of, even though we're still quite a distance away before the end of the season, it seems as though Leipzig are already kind of in the business end of their season. This this kind of almost like five or six week run may go on to define, you know, what Leipzig achieved this season. And, you know, if that means maybe they have to play a B team against Liverpool and just accept that the Champions League isn't um, is beyond them this season, and that in turn may help them push Bayern to the final day of the season, or perhaps even pit them to the title, then I think Nagelsmann and possibly the club would be happy to accept that because you know if if you're to maybe ask them, do you want a you know a potential uh, run to the semi final? Say best case scenario, I think it's probably fair to say. Best case scenario, maybe Leipzig can get to the semi-final of the Champions League this season. Or if they could push Bayern all the way in the Bundesliga. I think Nagelsmann, for his own kind of, you know, very obvious expectations he puts on himself uh, and the kind of persona and the kind of reputation that he is building as a young coach in European football, I think that domestic achievement would probably look better on his CV rather than another run to the semi-final. So, um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think anyone would begrudge Leipzig if they did kind of put a weakened team against Liverpool, if it, if it could help them kind of really push on in the title race. I find this, to maybe continue our discussion that we had on Twitter, Stefan, I find this a very interesting point. I think that it's not beyond Leipzig to beat Liverpool 3-1 or 3-0, the results that Liverpool had. And, and I think this game is probably going to also take place in Budapest, right? So it's essentially another neutral game venue. We, we essentially just continuing the, the first 90 minutes. It's now just the second half. It doesn't have the same kind of home, home and away implications that usual Champions League games have. So I find that's a very interesting point. And I do think that maybe tanking one competition over the real chance of winning another. And I think they have a real chance of winning the Bundesliga and they have a real chance of winning the Dave Pokal too, although Wolfsburg is going to be a quite tough opponent in the quarterfinal, right? But if you get through to the semifinal, there, there is going to be <laughs> at least one team from a lower division, right? So um, there's a good chance of maybe advancing to the final in Berlin and pick up a title there as well. But I think that the Champions League is probably the most, at least likely to win. So what do you do with that competition? So on the one hand, I think that that's an argument to me say, hmm, okay, maybe we don't put our emphasis on that. On the other hand, and um, this is an argument that I always like to make, and this is maybe my, my background in North American sports, you know, where, where te teams literally tank to get a higher draft pick. And uh, there's an increasingly big argument to be made that tanking, despite getting better players as a result, is actually breeding a culture of losing right and that's maybe the one thing that you want to avoid that um, a defeat to Liverpool could maybe ruin the rhythm of your season right so maybe trying to get a win against Liverpool to keep that momentum going is 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 the better strategy I, I honestly don't have an answer here but that's just maybe like the other view of it right that winning breeds winning and that's that's a big thing like when you look at Bayern Munich that's what they do they go they play every single game to win no matter what the situation is like and that's what makes them ultimately one of the best teams in the world and I think that's like something that Leipzig also wants to establish so I, I'm of two minds here on the one hand I think it's a very good point and I agree with you to, to, to a certain extent that you know like maybe giving up that competition might make sense but on the other hand winning breeds winning doesn't it my only response to that would be that Leipzig aren't a typical football club. Uh, and I don't mean that in a disparaging kind of cheap shot way. I, all I mean is that, you know, Nagelsmann um, is a very pragmatic coach. Uh, you know, he's in charge of a very unique football system, football um, project there. And if there's one club that can quite coldly and without emotion just switch off that hope of saying, uh, you know what, Champions League isn't that important to us this season, it would be RB Leipzig because it's something that Dortmund can't do. It's something that Bayern Munich can't do. It's something that Juventus, Real Madrid, Manchester United cannot do. But it's something that RB Leipzig probably can do this season because they're RB Leipzig. Very briefly, uh, Manu, just before we uh, move on, uh, Stefan brought up a good point um, about RB Leipzig and obviously possibly the, the most hated uh, club in the Bundesliga. Uh, how do you think fans would react to them winning the title or possibly winning you know, a domestic double? Oh, it's a good thing that there's no fans in the stadium at the moment. I, I think that would soften the blow within Germany among the hardcore ultras. I think, I think we have to look at this in, in two different ways. There's the hardcore fans that would absolutely hate this. And for various reasons, and I don't say... I disagree or agree with them just saying that they would absolutely hate this 
from the Bundesliga marketing standpoint outside of Germany and among neutral Bundesliga fans in Germany, and there's quite a lot of them that just watch the league for the sake of watching the league because they want enjoyment um, or their team is maybe in a lower division, like it's the case for me, right? My, my team does not play in the Bundesliga. I watch the league because I want, I want A, I cover it, but B, also I, I want an excited title race. It's maybe less important what the background is of the team. And especially abroad, I think RB Leipzig is seen very differently than it is seen within Germany. I think um, they always kind of have to make that point on English broadcasters that, oh, this is a hated team in Germany. And then a lot of times people are saying like, why? Right? Because like the construct that they have in Leipzig exists in, in a lot of clubs around the world and a lot, a lot of leagues around the world already. So it's not really, it's a Bundesliga specific problem in some ways. I think from a Bundesliga marketing standpoint, it wouldn't it would be good for the league if Leipzig won it. Even if a lot of fans within Germany would hate it. But usually hate also kind of breeds controversy, which is also something that actually works well, right? I mean Bayern Bayern have basically marketed themselves as the most hated club in in German football. It's like they even have like a slogan like it's euer Hass is unser Stolz, your hate is our pride. And I think that would be very similar for Leipzig in the end. Well, let's uh, move away from the top two now. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, one of the sides that uh, RB Leipzig will be coming up against, and that is in the Pokal. Uh, and yeah, one of the more surprising outfits uh, this season have been Oliver Glasner's uh, Wolfsburg. Uh, unbeaten in eight, uh, now seven points behind Bayern Munich at the top. Uh, Stefan, firstly, how impressed have you been with them, especially of late? And secondly... Is seven points too far away for a title challenge? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure Bundesliga fans would take much solace in the hope that maybe one team that can stop Leipzig from winning the title might be Wolfsburg. I think they're maybe a, a similar ilk, maybe not as bad, but um, also not a popular team uh, in Germany. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, but I personally have thoroughly enjoyed watching them. Um, you know. They were kind of so-so at the start of the season. There was obviously some concerns about whether the manager would stay on. But, you know, I think especially since the turn of the year, they've just been outstanding. You know, to kind of link this to the Leipzig debate, they're obviously a team who've really benefited from not really having anything, any European football to worry about. Um, you know, I, thought, I, thought, I think about Veghorst has been outstanding this season. Uh, 14 goals. Only two of them have been penalties. I know he's not top of the, you know, the Bundesliga goal-scoring records uh tables so far this season but I think most of the strikers around him have been taking a lot more penalties than him uh, you know then you've got you've got guys like Renato Stefan you've got Baku uh, I think Max Arnold's probably having one of the best seasons that he's had at Wolfsburg he's kind of showing that kind of potential he's always had uh, I think there's also been some calls for him in the German national team which I don't think would maybe be unfair uh, but They've got a perfect blend because they've also got all these outstanding individual attacking players. But in truth, the real strength has actually been how solid they've been in defence. Uh, you know, their 3 0 win at the weekend was the seventh consecutive clean sheet. Uh, and you've kind of got some great kind of defensive players. Or Castillo's is obviously proven Bundesliga talent. He's probably one of the best goalkeepers in the league. Same with Brooks. Lacroix, uh, who has just kind of emerged as this outstanding kind of young defender. Yeah, and I've got a lot of time for them. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how they can do move uh, going on for the rest of the season. Um, I know they've kind of picked up results against Leverkusen and Gladbach recently, but 
they will have to kind of prove themselves against the likes of Frankfurt, Bayern Munich, RB Leipzig over the next couple of months. Um, and I think that'll be kind of where we kind of see how well they will do. Because I think if you're a Dortmund fan and you're looking at that table, you're probably hedging your bets on uh, Wolfsburg dropping points uh, and kind of giving up that fourth uh, potential space more so than Frankfurt, I think. Um, although maybe that's just my own personal opinion, but yeah, I think they've been outstanding uh, for the most part. But I'm looking forward to seeing how they can do in, in some more big games. Yeah, they've been very impressive, haven't they? And they're going to face uh, Hertha Berlin this weekend. Um, and I would imagine that they're probably um, going to continue that uh, vein of form. Uh, Manu, we mentioned uh, Eintracht Frankfurt at the top of the show. Um, obviously, they had a fantastic result against Bayern Munich. Uh, so they've kept their run going. In fact, you know, they haven't been beaten in 11 matches. And the last time they lost was, yeah, Wolfsburg. Uh, things just seem to be getting better and better for them. Uh, they're on 42 points now. Um, with, with new European games, That they look like they're just going to keep this run going on. Yeah, I think the no European games is a huge factor for both Wolfsburg and Frankfurt. Maybe just to add one bit to Wolfsburg, Stefan. Um, when they won the title in 2009... They were just in ninth place after the Hinrunde in the Bundesliga and um, basically rode up the field from behind to, to, to win it all. Um, so don't count them out quite yet. But I mean, in many ways, you can say the same thing about Frankfurt. That seven-point gap looks like a lot. But at the same time, there was the same gap that Leipzig had just two weeks ago, right? A lot of things are still happening. There's still a lot of football to be played. I think that Frankfurt, for me... The litmus test was against Bayern Munich in, in some ways. And I remember last week, the, that was one of the questions that we had in this podcast. And um, Chris rightfully said it wasn't necessary the litmus test whether to get into the Champions League. But for me, it was the litmus test because they, they beat Bayern Munich without Andre Silva. And that is that is really the achievement of the day in so many ways for me, that they managed to beat the biggest team in the world, you know, in bunny years, um, without the best striker, maybe the best striker in Europe, not named um, not named Robert Lewandowski at the moment, because Andre Silva has been in remarkable form. And I thought it was really impressive how Frankfurt identified quite quickly what Bayern Munich's weaknesses were, that left side with Philipp Kostic um, having a field day with uh, Niklas, poor Niklas Süle, because he's definitely not a right back, right? And um, ha having an absolute field day. And then uh, Armin Younes' goal, which was just brilliant. Um, it was I, I loved seeing it because I think he is a player that has an, an enormous amount of talent, had been part of the German national team. You know, doing this in front of Joachim Löw's eyes, maybe reminding the Bundestrainer that he is still maybe a candidate for the national team. But I thought it was an all-around very, very impressive performance. And it was a signal to the rest of the league, like, look, we're here. We're going to push for this for this position and we're not worried about playing the very best in the league. And even when our best players are missing, we're still going to get a result. And I think that is something that has the rest of the league has to take quite serious. And I think what um, I know we're going to talk about them in a moment, but I think if you're a Dortmund fan, I think, Stefan, you have to really worry about both Frankfurt and Wolfsburg at the moment because they're just so consistent, aren't they? Like both sides are just producing those results on such a consistent basis, you don't really see them drop those six points that they that they, they need to drop for Dortmund to jump past either one of them. Without a doubt. I mean, I thought the thing that really impressed me with Frankfurt against Bayern Munich was that, as you kind of said, not only did they not have Andre Silver, but 
it seemed to me almost as if the system and the tactics themselves were, you know, what kind of won them the day against Bayern Munich. I know Bayern obviously came back into the second half and Frankfurt were kind of holding on, but Hutter's tactics of that kind of 3-5-2 and that constant wing play, uh, you know, I actually looked up the stats after the game and only Bayern Munich averaged more crosses than Frankfurt this season. And it was so obvious throughout the match um, you know, they just had so much space against Bayern. And anyway, my, my point really here is that, you know, like Wolfsburg, who have this outstanding defensive record, Frankfurt are kind of the opposite. They're kind of this free-scoring attacking team, but it's all done through very clear tactics, very clear instructions for every player. So if someone like Andre Silva, who you really think or you really thought this team might have been built around, if he has to step out, someone like Jovic comes in. And obviously Jovic is a very talented player. I didn't think he had to remarkably well in the Bayern game. Maybe he did a lot of the kind of unthankful tasks of chasing down long balls and things, but I didn't think he did uh, as well as Silva perhaps would do. But the point is that because the tactics and the team are so well drilled, it didn't really matter and they could still go through the motions and they could still hurt Bayern. Um, so, you know, if perhaps the worry not only for Dortmund is that these two teams don't look, look like they're going to drop points anytime soon, but you'd really question whether Dortmund could actually beat either of them at the moment as well. So even if they had the opportunity to kind of take three points off them, did Dortmund really have the capacity to beat them at this moment in time? Well, I, I think with with that comment, uh, we're going to move away from two teams in fine form and talk about these next two teams, which have really struggled with form of later, one of them all season, really. But one man in particular has had no such problems whatsoever. Linken Seite, Brand, links am Strafraum noch einmal zurück zu Sancho. Jetzt kommt der Ball auf Holland. Seitfallzieher, Tor! Was ja! für ein klasse Treffer! Was für ein tolles Tor von Erling Holland mit der Flanke von Jaden Sancho in der 45. Minute. Stellt der BVB die Weichen auf Sieg in diesem Derby. Yes, what a goal. Holland does it again. That's 42 in 43 for Dortmund. And against local rivals Schalke, um, the Riviera Derby. Um, Manu, we've covered plenty of Riviera Derbys on the podcast over the years. This one, though, I think it was you possibly said you could have had a different title in the Crisis Derby. Yeah, it's, um, it is definitely the Crisis Derby, although I think that you have to always put the crisis into context, right? I mean, for, for Borussia Dortmund... Um, Although not reaching the Champions League would be bad, it's it wouldn't be the end of the club. Whereas for Schalke, it was probably an existential derby um, because you know going down to Bundesliga two, we have seen plenty of sides doing that in 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 the last uh, decade or so, and um, some of them never have come back or have struggled. And we're talking about big clubs, like we're talking Kaiserslautern, 1860 Munich, Hamburger SV. You know, there were some pretty big teams that never really recovered from this. Hamburgers for now three seasons in a row trying to get back into the Bundesliga. And um, we spoke about this before the podcast. Look, once again, to to stumble over that final hurdle, right? Kaiserslautern are struggling in Liga 3, 1860, um, are trying to get promotion from Liga 3 at the moment. It's a long way back. You know, not every team bounces straight back. And Schalke are in, in a structurally very weak city. And with, you know, all the problems and with Gazprom potentially leaving at the end of the season, there's a, there's a lot of money missing and nine points after 22, point, 22 games, I feel, tell the rest of the story. So it's an existential crisis for Schalke. And um, I think this is this is Redvier Derby 
I don't want to say it's the last because VfL Bochum could get promoted from Bundesliga too, right? And then we just have a different Revere derby. But it could be the last Revere derby between those two teams in a very long time. And I think without fans in particular, and it it was probably the Revere derby with the biggest gaps uh, in class. Um, I think this was even worse than the one last year that Dortmund also dominated. But I think I feel this one almost felt worse because for, it, it almost felt like a friendly for Dortmund against one of those lower division sides and in one of those like preseason games, right, that they host um, when they go down to, uh, I, I don't know, some Liga 3 side like Preußen Münster or something like that. And it, it almost felt like that. And, you know, that really should bury this idea that um, Schalke are uh, A, a club too big to fail and B, a team that has the quality to be in this league. I think both of those things were quite obviously proven wrong on, on Saturday. So, Stefan, I mean, if we talk about Schalke a little bit before we maybe uh, finish off in uh, Dortmund, another terrible day for them. It's been a terrible season for them, but uh, after you know 22 matches, nine points, uh, the teams above them, you know, Hertha 18 Bielefeld 18, Mainz 17. It's probably light side, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, to kind of bring up the conversation that Manu mentioned we had before the podcast, what I kept saying was, and I'm, I'm kind of loath to keep saying this because I, I wonder if it's just a lazy comparison, but it does kind of bring back uh, memories of Hamburg and, and, you know, ahead of their relegation and how everyone's saying, you know, they're too big to go down. They'll turn it around, they'll turn it around, constant managerial changes, players get into fights at training grounds and things. Um, you know, even financial issues as well, I think, if I'm not mistaken, at Hamburg as well at the time. Um and the kind of the, the concern is that the kind of natural reaction is to think, well, maybe going down and sorting things out might be the best thing for them. But as Manu perfectly pointed out, there's a there's a lot of issues off the pitch as well. Um, you know, there was obviously a lot of trouble with fans following the match, um, you know, because of obviously the manner in which Schalke did lose the game. And I can kind of understand the, the upset, uh, the, the, the frustration from fans because, you know, putting kind of Dortmund's um, outstanding goals to one side, the match did kind of resemble a training ground game for much of it. Schalke just really couldn't to kind of muddle up my metaphors. They couldn't lay a glove on uh, Dortmund at all. Um, you know, obviously Gross has come in, tried to bring in some new loan signings, some kind of more experienced players in kind of typical Schalke fashion. They brought in Hunslar to fix things and oh, what a mistake, he's injured, he can't play, et cetera, et cetera. So it just looks like one disaster after another. And I would like to say maybe a relegation would um, sort things out for the club on the pitch and off it. But I do fear they might, uh, you know, maybe even worse than Hamburg, who, yeah, three seasons in the Swede Bundesliga, but they've kind of maybe, you know, they're pushing for promotion this season. I do really kind of fear what would happen to Schalke if they did go down and they, they weren't able to get their house in order. I also want to say something really controversial for our large American fan base listening here. I don't know if any of you guys saw the Sports Illustrated title during the week with um, Matthew Hoppen, the, the whole glimmer of hope and how the, the entire hope of a club rests on a 19-year-old's shoulder. You almost wonder if Schalke did themselves and, and Matthew Hoppe as well a disservice with that and it, how it almost like kind of emphasizes the, the many problems that they have as a club and the, 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 the display that they're showing to the world is you essentially asking 
a 19-year-old kid who has scored one goal in 16 Regionalliga games and had, yes, a good game in the Bundesliga where he scored a hat-trick, to be this 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 glimmer of hope, you know? <laughs> I mean, the title alone um, is quite telling, and it kind of reminds me of this typical hype train that, they, that gets generated in the United States among many athletes, right, that that they have there that have this good run four or five games in, in an 82 game schedule and then kind of disappear like Tim Tebow for example comes to mind right and there's been a few examples in basketball and hockey as well I don't know if they did themselves a little bit of a disservice with that um, and, and I don't want to put in any means um, blame on on the kid I think maybe going down to Bundesliga 2 and playing a couple of years there would probably be actually really good for his development but having him front, left, right, and center, and like bringing in Huntela as this mentor, and he's not going to be anything more than that because he's he's injured. I don't know. I think it's it kind of fits fits the bill, doesn't it? Like this this whole let's try to market this impossible situation and put all the load on on this kid from from Southern California who has no idea what's really happening with him at the moment. Well, Manu, just before we uh, close the podcast, um, obviously, Jaden Sancho, Erling Haaland, uh, they've been performing rather well of late, even though the side maybe haven't. I uh, just wanted to know, what's the likelihood of us seeing them in the Bundesliga next season? I think we have to talk a bit more about and than just closing out, Bryce, because <laughs> I think that's a very big topic. Um, I think Dortmund, speaking of a glimmer of hope, I think they displayed it. I think they were fantastic against Sevilla. I don't think any of us expected them to to win there, let alone score three goals away. And yeah, the, the game ended just in a 3-2 victory, but that game was in Spain. And winning on the road 3-2 in the Champions League, I don't care what you say, but if you score three goals on the road, you can still lose 2-1 or 1-0 at home. You're still going through. I mean, they, they're one and a half legs in the next round. And I don't think many people expected that. And I, I'm curious what you think about this, Stefan, too, but... The reaction that Jaden Sancho and Erling Haaland showed after the Revier Derby, there has been so much talk about Sancho in particular. Oh, he's just here to further his career. He's just like, this is just a stepping stone for him. Um, this doesn't mean very much for him. You can sort of get a little bit of a sense with that with Haaland too. Doesn't didn't feel that way. Sancho was very emotional after the game. All the players were. And maybe they care more than we think they do. Yeah, I, I kind of posed this question on Twitter where I kind of just said, wouldn't it be, how about Dortmund just don't sell Erling Haaland? Because, you know, there's this kind of constant media uh, narrative that Sancho and Haaland are just kind of, they have their hand, their arms folded, tapping their feet at the exit to the Westfalen Stadion and just kind of look at their watch waiting to go. And I really don't think that's the case at all. Um you know, there's been a lot of talk about Dortmund's situation financially, where if they qualify for the Champions League, if they have to sell players. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Haaland's minimum fee release clause. There's, you know, depends which German newspaper you read. Um, it's either this summer or next, or it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's X amount or Y amount. And, you know, if you actually look at the way the players behave on and off the pitch, there's really no suggestion that either of them are waiting to leave the club. Um, you know, I, I actually watched a post-match interview with the pair of them on Norwegian television, actually, I think it was. They're both speaking English. And they're both just in glowing recommendations about each other. Haaland constantly said, I just love playing with this guy. He's so good. Sancho, happy. You can see he he's obviously just at the best. He's, he's, his, I mean, both players have been in tremendous form this season, um, or since the turn of the year, actually. 
And I do kind of wonder if if there's one thing that could keep Sancho at Dortmund next season, putting any perhaps financial demand to sell him to one side, it it probably will be Haaland. Um, and I do wonder if that's maybe one of the kind of, well, maybe it's not that discreet. Maybe it was discreet to me because it wasn't initially the first thing I thought of. But if Marco Rosa coming in as a coach next season, you do wonder if, you know, obviously he's worked very well with Erling Haaland. He gave Haaland his debut at Salzburg. They know each other very well. And I do wonder if, you know, you get a situation at Dortmund where Haaland's saying, well, you know what? I've got this new head coach. I really like him. Uh, he knows how to play me well. I'm in no rush to leave. And that kind of rubs off in Sancho as well. Um, so, you know, unless Dortmund really have to sell Sancho or Haaland this this summer, um, I, I, I just don't see any demand from the players to move on. So, I mean, we'll just have to see. I mean, I'm sure Dortmund will explain themselves in time if they do decide to sell one of them this summer. But there's certainly no indication on or off the pitch that they want to leave. Yeah, I, I can only um, underline that Erling Haaland has no extra class next summer. That's been confirmed directly to the, from the club, so we know that's not the case. I know there was some Spanish reports suggesting otherwise. That's definitely not true. And I think that the Dortmund's expectations are that even if they miss the Champions League, they will try to convince him to stay. Um, we all know who Erling Haaland's agent is, right? Um, that that will make things hard. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, in the end of the day, Haaland says like, "Look, okay, well, fine. I'll play a year in the Europa League." Um, and we've seen with other clubs in the Bundesliga that you know taking a step in Europe, back in Europe, can maybe actually give you an enhanced chance of challenging Bayern for a title. I think that's an important point here. And as for Sancho, um, I'd be surprised if Dortmund keep him. Uh, it wouldn't shock me, but it would I would be surprised. But I think I'd be positively surprised. And I, I think the reaction it was really the reactions after the derby was that got me thinking like, hmm, maybe there's less to the story than we're making. I mean, we all work in media. We all have pages to fill. Um, but maybe this is less of a story with the players than we think. And I think that's a really interesting development and something to keep an eye on. Especially, I mean, if Dortmund reached the Champions League, then all bets are off. Then there's a, I think there's a good chance both of them are staying. Well, we'd certainly like them to stay, wouldn't we, as uh, Bundesliga fans? Uh, we'd like to see them play every week. They're, they keep us uh, entertained with yeah, some scintillating play. And Haaland, we just can't say enough good things, really, can we? But, uh, guys, uh, that, that more or less uh, does it for the podcast this week. Yes, there's uh, Champions League coming up. We've got Lazio versus Bayern. And then we've got Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Man City. So enjoy those. Uh, we'll be back before you know it. And, yeah, we've got a title race on. Come on. Thanks for tuning in. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.